I move this 7A, so is it, is it still all right? Yeah, for her recording. Is it, it's okay? Yeah, great. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the evening, um, I wanted to talk tonight about um, generosity. And there's so many things to say about generosity that, and, and I know that sometimes when I get started, I go on forever, so I'm gonna try, but I'm gonna try to be somewhat succinct tonight because I really want to um, hear uh, Tanisara about generosity and about the project that she's um, so, she's been taking care of for so long. This quote from Martin Luther King is um, what I'd like to use as, as our sort of talking point tonight. He said, I am convinced that love is the most durable power in the world. It is not an expression of impractical idealism but of practical realism. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, love is an absolute necessity for the survival of the civilization. That's a pretty heavy statement, right? It's not, it's not light. Because we live in a, we, we don't live in a community-centered culture. There are no natural uh, reinforcers in our culture of a sense of belonging. We can feel the separation or the separateness that this culture of consumerism and more, more, more invites. And so we can feel all alone in the world. And not only do we feel sometimes alone in the world, or most of the time alone in the world, but we also feel as if it's a world that's hostile to spiritual work, it's certainly not friendly to it. So we wind up in a vacuum, living in a culture such as this, where we think we need to do it for ourselves and by ourselves. I always particularly like a um, cartoon that I saw in the New Yorker in which it says, it's a, it's a personal ad, it says, tall, dark, handsome Buddhist looking for himself. <laughs> So the question when we think about love and that it's the, um, the, the, the holding power 
of our human community. The question is, how can we express that in our lives, in our, uh, in our, in our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our families, our relationship with our communities, and indeed our relationship with all of humanity, everyone that we know, our, all of our relations, which is all of hum- humanity. I think that the um, the principle that expresses love most clearly and most forcefully is the principle of generosity. That we can talk about loving kindness and cultivating loving kindness in our hearts and we can talk about compassion and all of those wonderful qualities which of course are all worthwhile cultivating. But that what is what what makes those qualities real is this principle of um, giving, of um, opening the heart, of expressing that kindness in a fundamental and concrete way. That is how we express what we call metta, which is the Pali word um, for loving kindness in our own, in our lives. When we talk about and, and, I, and I believe that when Martin Luther King was talking about love, he, he talked often about the, what he described as agape. And I, and I believe that um, agape, or the kind of love that he was talking about, is the kind of love that we talk about in our Buddhist practice of metta or loving kindness. It's that kind of love that springs from the wise recognition that there is no separateness, even though on a cultural level we learn separateness, we learn uh, wrong-headedness, that we are alone or separate from the rest of humanity, that um, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that we are interconnected, that we are not separate at all, and that we are not um, uh, what, what is called in, in late 19th century philosophy, Western European philosophies, that we're not these separate monads sort of wandering around the world separate from each other. If we, because if we were separate, how could we possibly communicate with each other? How could we possibly know what is in each other's hearts, which we do most of the time, even if we deny it, avoid it, suppress it? We do know what's in our hearts because we know 
what's in our own hearts, we know what is in the hearts of other human beings. So we are constantly and uh, inexorably and unavoidably connected to each other. First of all, simply by the fact that we are human. And secondly, because we are on this very, very small planet together. And without the deep recognition of our uh, connectedness, of our connection, we, are, we will be unable uh, to survive. And under, so under this cultivation of loving kindness, under this uh, wish for uh, well, the well-being of all, is this deep recognition that we are indeed all connected. There is another um, passage that I think expresses this really well from one of um, Dr. King's talks. He said, when we get up in the morning, we go into the bathroom where we reach for a sponge provided for us by a Pacific Islander. The towel is provided by a Turk. We reach for soap created by a Frenchman. In the kitchen, you drink coffee provided by a South American or tea by a Chinese, or cocoa by a West African, and you butter toast from an English-speaking farmer. And before you've finished breakfast, you've depended on more than half the world. This is the way our universe is structured. This is its interrelated quality. We aren't going to have peace on Earth until we recognize this basic fact of this interrelated structure of the universe. And if our destinies are so intertwined, he further said, it follows that, strangely enough, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. The right kind of self-love and the right kind of love of others are interdependent. He also called it an inescapable network of mutuality. So if this is so, and the universe is naturally structured in this inescapable network of mutuality, and we're dependent in obvious and non-obvious ways, then Generosity as an expression of the open heart that we cultivate in our loving-kindness practice is self-evident. And it's not something that we have to put on um, or find outside of ourselves or something we have to make happen because it's not natural. It is the most fundamental part of who we are. And mutual interdependence then becomes mutual support. 
inter-support, if you will. And it means that we don't have to become generous. We just have to get out of the way of, the f of impeding the flow of generosity. Because if you look at the way the universe is structured, not only in terms of human beings, but in terms of how it continues from day to day, from moment to moment, if you pull your lens back into a larger perspective, what you see is that you're constantly being fed by this universe. That without the exact perfect, exact perfect ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the earth would burn up. That this universe is constantly giving us exactly what we need, even down to our very breath. We are constantly being fed and nurtured and supported by a universe that is constantly uh, producing that which we need. And so the teaching of generosity as a foundational uh, teaching that the Buddha gave uh, becomes, of course, it's not, it's not a, a way in which we, ha we look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm not measuring up because I'm, I'm not generous enough. Because you are generous enough. You simply need to bring it to your own um, uh, consciousness to understand in wisdom and become aware in a, in a, in a, um, in a, a, a completely um, bodily-based way of what generosity is and, and the, the necessity for us, for, for it in this universe. Because without it, without that expression of love, which is what generosity is, the universe is, as Dr. King said, can't survive. So, this endless circulation of divine charity, which is how Ralph Waldo Emerson put it, is the background against which uh, we all live, the, the foundation on which our lives are built. And so it's no surprise that when the Buddha taught, especially if he taught someone who was, who did not yet consider him their teacher, new students, he would teach them the principles of generosity. And he would not move on to further teachings until he really felt that they understood the value of generosity. The, um, the jewel that generosity is and can be in our lives. And the reason for that, I think, and it's sometimes said in, in the commentaries, is that the teaching of generosity, the, the, the teaching of uh, the necessity for understanding the power of giving in our lives, is um, 
a way to open the heart and to open the mind. And that without that ability to let go and to open the heart and the mind, it's impossible for the teachings to come in. That this practice of generosity then becomes the foundation on which we build our wisdom and compassion practice. That without the understanding of the value of generosity and the understanding of the value of the practice of generosity, that the wisdom teachings and the teachings and the practice of compassion cannot be complete. And so that is why in the teachings it's said that generosity is the first perfection of a Buddha, the first guide to enlightened living. So we see it not as a foundation or as not, not as an introductory practice so much, but as a foundation, as the core of our practice. And the way that we know generosity in ourselves is not because we force ourselves to become generous, as I said, but to know what is skillful in ourselves, to listen to timing, to listen to seasons, to know what is required in each situation. And the way we know what is required in each situation is not because we somehow think it through, but because our hearts are open enough that we know what is needed, we know what is required. We see the circumstances, and through the seeing of the circumstances and seeing it clearly, then therein lies the open heart and the heart of wisdom. I love uh, the story of Mother Teresa um, being asked um, what she tells, what she told her nuns to get them to practice in the way that she practiced in the streets of Calcutta with the orphans. And she said, I tell them to just give themselves away, to not keep anything for themselves. And, in a, and that is, uh, that struck me so as um, the urgency of the, the practice of generosity. That in a way, if we understand that this universe is constantly giving and bringing us gifts and supporting us and nurturing us, then we begin to understand that, that there's only hubris in our believing that it stops here with me, that what I get needs to be mine, and that therefore there is nothing that I, that I, I can't give it away because we are so conditioned to having security and thinking and being trained in, by our cultural, by the cultural message to be trained that the way that we are secure is by what we have and what we get. And that these things that we have and get are the things that are going to provide security. And yet we know in, in economic times such as this, we begin, to, we begin to see that all of the things on which we depended for security, all of the things that we thought would always be there, that they are like tissue, that they, they break in our hands, they, they, they fall away, they fall apart. And so what we have is not so much the things that we can get, but the open-heartedness that we have 
in a community. As some of you know, I'm, I'm from Jamaica. And I'm, always, and I'm always struck when I go to Jamaica or to any of the West Indian islands or in, in the Caribbean or, to, or some, to some countries in Asia that are grindingly poor. I'm always struck by the richness, the wealth of the heart of people in, in poor communities that it's understood in those communities that when we have, what we do is not so much hold on to anything for ourselves, but we know that when we have, when we are fortunate, that, the, that what we do is we give it away, that we support those who are less fortunate in that moment. And the reason that we know that is because we know someday we may be in that very same situation in which, what, in, in which what we need is a helping hand. And so what begins to happen in communities such as those is that nobody goes completely without because there is always something to share. There is always someone who is there to lend a hand. And so we cultivate um, the quality of generosity because we understand with wisdom, not because we're going to make ourselves better people or because we're going to make ourselves something that, um, that we, we think we're not worthy of, but that if we pretend, maybe we give because we feel guilty or we give because somebody else has given us something and we think we have to give it back in return or because it looks good or because somebody will think well of us. It's not for any of those reasons, but it's a reflection more on the quality of the interconnectedness of all life. And when we, when we go to Asia to practice, again, in, in certain parts of Asia that are very, very poor, I'm always struck, and, and Tanisra will might be able to talk even um, more clearly about this than, than, than I can, but I know that when I've been in Asia practicing in monasteries, I'm always completely moved, and a lot of, I spend a lot of my time in, in tears just being moved by the generosity of uh, the people that support the monasteries and support me as a, as a, as a meditator. When I, was in, when I was last in Burma, uh, before the Saffron Revolution, I was practicing at a, at a monastery in the Sagayan Hills. And nowhere is it more evident than when you go into, um, in, first of all, when you go into the monastery itself, because what you realize is that since the time of the Buddha, these monasteries have been supported completely by people who find it worthwhile to support what in the, in the monastic chants um, is uh, the, 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 the monastics give occasion for incredible goodness to arise in the world. And these monasteries are built on the wisdom and the loving-kindness 
of people in the community who, whose hearts open at the idea of supporting the arising of goodness in the world. And so these monasteries completely exist on the fact of generosity. And when, when we go into the dining room, there's no place that, we, that it's, it's any more poignant than in the dining room where all of the meals are provided by, um, the, by the, the, the surrounding lay community. And of course, you know that because you go into the dining room for your meal and there will be people lined up around the perimeter of the dining room. And, in the be- and, and they just sit and watch the meditators and the monks eat. So you try, you know, um, mindfully eating while, you know, you're under, you're, you're under, uh, under glass. And of course, what, 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 what we're informed is that the people who are sitting in the dining room watching us eat are the people who contributed <coughs> the meal for the day. And who will come is you know, 10 people from a family, the aunt and the uncle and the mom and the kids and the grandmother and the grandfather and everybody comes and they come simply for the joy of seeing meditators and monks eating the meal that they have offered. And it would bring tears to my eyes because there we were, you know, several of us as Americans who obviously had come from a much more... um, uh, wealthy place being completely supported in a completely open-hearted way by people who were, had much, much less than we did and they did it with great joy and great um, humility and so of course it, it, it really spurs one's practice on to know that you're being supported in this way and, and it's incredibly inspiring to know that there are people in the world whose generosity totally springs from the um, wish for the well-being of all beings and for the um, growth of goodness in the world. And so I'm, I, I'm, I, could, I could go on on this topic because it's one of my favorite topics, uh, but I, I want to give Tanisra a, a chance to, to speak also. So I, I wish for you that your heart will open completely. And, and just one last thing that I want to say before I, before I turn it over to Tanisra, and that is that it doesn't mean that your generosity should be foolish, right? That you just give it away and, and you, give it, you give away in such a way that you're not taking care of yourself. Because just as Tanisaro was saying to Phil in the beginning, that compassion begins with oneself. And compassion begins with the understanding of that we can be compassionate even towards our own blocks to compassion. That our generosity also begins with ourselves. That generosity, that if we understand the timing and the circumstances and the season, we also understand what is helpful for us and what is, what is needed as a foundation for us to, um, 
to 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 develop and cultivate this heart of kindness uh, that it starts actually at home with ourselves. And so you may know that um, this tradition of generosity in our uh, in our tradition uh, has passed down to from the the whole monastic lineage of the Buddha down now to modern day in uh, modern day times in which we have centers like this in which we have um, what we call meditation centers instead of monasteries because the teachers are mostly lay teachers that that's how we that's how we run we have tried to keep this tradition completely alive um, by offering what we offer and inviting um, everyone who practices, we as teachers, you as students, sometimes I'm a student, sometimes I'm a teacher, we, in whatever capacity we're here in these centers, to support them and to support the teachers because that's how uh, the, the teachings continue to survive. But to do it not in, not in a way that is obligatory or is um, uh, quick and dirty, but that it becomes part of your practice, that, you, that your generosity, and, and we're not talking just about generosity to centers or generosity to teachers, but all of the ways in which you can be generous, not only materially, but with your presence, with your attention, and with all of your being, that you do it in, within the context of the practice, that the way that you, that you exercise your generosity is through knowing the quality of heart and the quality of mind that you bring to every single moment, and that whatever you're doing, whether it's um, being with your child in a completely wholehearted, wholehearted way, or taking care of an aging parent, or taking care of a friend, or a sibling, or someone on the street that needs help, that you do that in a way where you understand the quality of mind and heart that you are bringing to it. And that that is where generosity lies. Not so much in the transfer of something, whether it's energy or material goods or whatever it is, but that but the generosity lies in the attitude and the perspective that you bring to each act that you carry out in each moment. And that when you understand completely that it is, it is the quality of your attention that determines the quality of an act, then your generosity will blossom and grow. And that's what I wish for you, that your heart opens as wide as a, as a, as a full-blown <coughs> lotus and that your generosity will cover the world. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. That was beautiful. I think very comprehensive. Um, I'll embroider a few comments on that, reflections on on that um, theme of dana, uh, generosity, um, <clears throat> because as as Gina said, it is such a um, fundamental and core aspect of the transmission of the Dharma 
right back from the time of the Buddha two and a half thousand years ago that uh, the teachings and the transmission of the teachings have been enabled through this culture of, of dana or offering or um, mutuality of support, um, both offering of material um, requisites, but also uh, people that offer their practice, their insights, their study, um, the training of others, um, the the time it takes to um, develop the qualities of Dharma and then sharing them out, even the example of the Buddha's life. Um, after his enlightenment, he could have sat under the tree and thought, well, that's great, that's me finished. You know, bye-bye, sweet world, I'm out of here. Uh, it's all too much trouble. And apparently, <laughs> you know, which we can relate to, I, th- I can relate to, um, apparently um, he did feel very daunted by the, the consideration of sharing his insights. It was very daunting to him. And in fact, he was very reluctant to do so. And it said that... Um, the great God from the Brahma heavens came down before him and knelt and said, well, you know, um, there are those with a little dust in their eyes that will be able to understand your teaching, so for the welfare of the many folk, please go forth and share the Dharma. So this often is um, this archetype of the God of from the Brahma realm is about um, the movement of compassion that Gina spoke to, um, how to bring compassion, that, uh, the quote from Martha, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, the importance, the, the currency of life ultimately is love, compassion, it's many other things, uh, but it's at its sweetest when it is compassion, when it's loved and facilita- facilitated by this sharing, this capacity to share um, and to see our lives not so much you know, the contemporary culture, it's very much about what we can get, what we own, what we accumulate. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic to consider. Could it be about what we offer into, what we let go of, what we contribute to? Um, can we change the attitude from our work, whatever it is, as, you know, what am I getting out of this? I'm not getting enough to, this is an offering, you know, um, this is what I'm offering to the world. This is my, my, my offering yeah, um, to myself, to others. It's, it just makes it, a, it makes it that sweeter experience in life rather than the stress and the struggle and the strain and the, the grasping that, that, that we're so um, driven by sometimes, very unconsciously. In the training of offering, often in Buddhism they talk about three kinds of dana, three kinds of offering, the dana of material wealth, um, the giving, literally of giving and sharing of materiality, you know, whether it be our, our food, which I think is a very basic way that all cultures share. As Gina said again, um, some cultures are more, um, you know, it's more, there's more fluidity or more understanding about the power of sharing food. Um, you know, again, it's quite, you know, it's, 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 she mentioned about um, Gina mentioned about the the in the monasteries or in the tradition of Buddhism, traditional Asian countries, how primary um, a transaction that is, the, the, the offering and the sharing and the taking of food, um, and how that you know that how that has a, an incredible power to it to be a recipient of that, but also to be the offerer, one that's offering food. 
um, to a practitioner. So that it could be the giving of food, it can be the sharing of material wealth for, for um, those that have more resources. It's thinking about creatively how to share resources with those that um, have less. Um, you know, wisely, again, as Gina said, you know, not just throwing um, you know, one's money around or, or without really considering the consequences. Is this a wise gift? Does this have the most benefit? Is this the best way to offer and share? Or, or, or maybe it's not. So I think it needs to be guided by wisdom, by consideration. Um, you know, just this this um, this way of considering how best to share our material wealth. And as one Tibetan teacher mentioned, I can't remember his name, that that when when we really take that generosity as a practice, that often we'll feel the pinch of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that is the practice. We know we're practicing it sometimes when we feel the pinch. You know, because it it, it counteracts. The, the grasping of the self that wants it all for me. You know, there's a there's a very sort of primitive part of ourself almost that, like, you know, like the child that's like, I want it all. <laughs> I want to hold it on to everything, you know, and it's actually, it's very exhausting and burdensome to, to keep grasping. And so, you know, to train the mind to let go, to offer out, you know, sometimes we have to practice at that edge and then move beyond it and release out of the holding and realize how much more fluid and sweet life can be when we do that. So the offering of materiality is the first level of first great offering we can make um, as a practice. The second is the offering of dharma, um, the literally the, the, the sharing of teachings that awaken us, that uh, diminish fear and, and um, delusion and greed in human minds. Um, but also offering of Dharma is a way that ways that we find to support each other, um, to listen to each other, um, to, to share what we can from our experience. It's not necessarily just giving a classical Dharma teaching, but it's ways of, 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 of sharing our own wisdom and insights with our friends, our families, for the sake of, of just um, encouraging each other, supporting each other. Um, so finding ways in our daily life to to support each other in our dharma practice tonight this is what we're doing we're practicing the dharma of considering the dharma together and then the last great classical territory of offering is is the um, the offering of fearlessness which is particularly sweet in human life we are so um, burdened and overwhelmed by fear um, Buddha taught that um, restrain the, the the cultivation of the five precepts, restraining the impulse for violence, harm, um, is a way of generating the energy of fearlessness into the world. Restraining the desire to take what doesn't belong to us, um, the, restraining the, the the exploitative energies that we have as human beings, if we restrain those energies, automatically we generate out into the world an energy of fearlessness. It's a, it's a, and also the offering of courage, giving courage to others. 
Um, it doesn't mean to say we don't feel fear or we don't feel the wobble in life, um, but being able to, to withstand that natural sense of, of um, feeling overwhelmed or feeling anxious or feeling fearful and being able to meet life as, as courageously as we can. And it might be just small gestures, but as we demonstrate courage in the face of that which will intimidate, it gives courage to others. Um, so these, these are three territories that we can practice this dana, paramita, this great perfection of, of offering. I'm aware that we finish at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I think that's. Thank you. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the dana that you've been offering for these I'd love ten to. years. Thank these you. ten years in South Africa. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you're interested yeah. in that. Yes. Thank you so much for in- inviting me, Gina, and, and f- um, the group here. Um, I, my husband, Kirisaro, and Gina read um, my introduction, introduced me tonight. Uh, it sounded like I've been doing all these things on my own, but I've been <laughs> doing them with my partner, my Dharma partner, and my husband, Kirisaro. Um, we were invited in 94, just in the political transition, uh, to South Africa to help um, to teach at a Dharma center, actually, um, it was an unexpected invitation. I hadn't really had any real understanding of much of South Africa other than the word apartheid, which we all knew, which was completely the opposite of what you were talking about. Um, the inter- interconnectedness, it was a, a system designed to enhance apartheid, literally means apart or separation, to, to bring about uh, separateness uh, along the divide of race, which is very effective very brutalizing. Um, and we arrived into the country just at the time when that regime had been, uh, I wouldn't say it was dismantled because that's a whole other territory, but at least politically there was a transition into the ANC government. So it was a very dynamic time to arrive and to, to explore teaching Dharma, practicing Dharma. There was a lot of euphoria in the country there was a lot of fear. A lot of the white community were very frightened. Um, there was a lot of uh, release of things that had in the regime that had been very controlling. So a lot of it was just like the you know lid blown off. Um, so there was also an outpouring of the area that we were working in. There was a lot of um, violence, uh, turf war that was going on um, as people struggled for for power. So it was, a, it was a very dynamic and difficult, um, dangerous situation, um, and a very you know interesting situation to be in the midst of. And to after twelve years of living in a monastery, whereas if you raised one eyebrow, it was an act of aggression. <laughs> to be in the midst of that was was rather daunting. Um, yeah, and I have to I have to confess that that uh, you know I was pretty terrified a lot of the time so I had a lot of practice at you know trying to get my courage up um, to, to meet to meet the complexity and also realizing it's very complex um, and of course as you know as I got to understand and know the country better and to realize particularly that the the dilemma of the majority of the African population 
that how decimating the whole apartheid experience uh, had been was that it uh, literally, you know, the, the, the process of forced removals from land, the process of um, migrant labor system, the breaking up of the the structures that would have actually kind of held the communities um, together with some integrity were broken down. And in a certain way, I see that that, that breakdown of, of naturally internalized and externalized boundaries that maintain health and well-being for a community almost set the um, platform or the, or the you know, premise for, then the, for when the... Um, the, the HIV-AIDS pandemic sort of flooded into the country. Of course, in 94, that hadn't fully emerged yet. We, there was still the euphoria of the, of the liberation. But um, as we kind of, we were asked, we did a five, we were only meant to be there five weeks. We've been there 16 years now. So um, as we, we were there, um, we were asked to stay on and help. And we thought, well, well why not, you know? Why not? You know, I mean, stuff going on, lots of people doing Dharma stuff in America and Europe. Why not? It seems a place that could be important to offer into. Um, I'm not sure I would have said that so easily <laughs> in retrospect because actually it's been very challenging. But, but on the other hand, a very rewarding because it's a very powerful and beautiful and deeply um, a deep country. It's got a deep spirit. Um, so, um, I, you know, I feel like an, an honor to have been engaged in the dynamic there. So, so um, we, um, you know, we began with the idea of teaching Dharma, but of course, as, as Gina was saying in her talk, we're interconnected, we work, we live in a context. And what, I, what we noticed is that there was a certain blinkeredness of apartheid, and particularly for uh, the white Buddhist community, it was very easy for then there not to be the real acknowledgement of the context they were in and the decimation that was happening around them um, because there had been such a culture of, well, that's your world and this is my world. You know? And we hadn't really come from that kind of conditioning so deeply. Um, so, you know, it struck us as, the, as very discordant. And so we were really wanting to, to under, understand how we could really respond uh, into the situation of the um, of the decimation that was happening from the AIDS pandemic, that became that begin to really bite after, you know, maybe five years into after the liberation, people weren't paying attention to it very much because there's because of the, the the bigger issue of the political changes, until until it became very clear that there was a really serious problem, and. Um, during you know during that that time um, we also had we um, we'd started our own hermitage and we had a refugee family that had from one of the turf wars that had arrived and lived lived with us a Zulu family a mother and three sons um, for about eight years they stayed uh, at the hermitage which was another interesting dynamic but it gave it gave us a real insight into into their lives, into their communities, into the schools, into what was happening, and um, and into the the fact that they were very, you know, vulnerable to infection, and so that started us thinking about what could we really do to respond to the situation, 
And um, at that time, we, every year we traveled overseas to fundraise, to teach, and take the dana back to support our life there. And um, we were teaching at San Francisco Insight, and they were hearing what we were working with and where we were, and they said, you know, what can we do to help? So we said, well, if you're serious, then, you know, if every one of your Sangha members gives $10 a month for a year, we'll be able to start a project. Because what was happening is people were coming to us personally all the time, and it was actually getting quite difficult to sustain um, and to be the focal point of, of helping. And it felt like it, we actually needed a structure um, to channel resources through to be more effective. So San Francisco Insight helped us. This was in 2000. We employed, asked someone that we felt was very skilled um, to be a manager and to begin to think about how to create a project, which um, she did. She worked very closely with the community next to the center where we'd originally been teaching and emerged a project called Wozomoya, which means come breath or spirit, um, which now, nearly 10 years on, is, uh, is, a, is, is very effective, um, employs 30 or 40 people that work as care workers, it educates, and um, it helps to advocate for people so they can get access to grants, IDs, um, ARVs, antiretrovirals, support groups. It helps to keep um, orphan, vulnerable children in community, so that they're not ripped out of community, keeping them in school and so on. Um, and then um, a few years ago, year, about a year or so ago, um, a young man that had come from the UK to practice, we had a retreat actually, we, we organized a retreat in the Wozomoy project. Europeans came over and working with young men in the community, started doing uh, building gardens for high-intensity vegetable growing for food security. And a young man from that trip stayed on and helped. And then he said, look, I really want to do this kind of work. So we asked him to, to start um, a similar project um, near to where the Hermitage is, which is on the border of Lesotho in the Drakensberg Mountains. So we're now working the Kapuka project I'm aware, I know we have just a few minutes, so I'll, I'll wrap this up quite quickly, but um, the Kapuka project, which means, which was chosen by, the name was chosen by a wonderful, uh, Gina mentioned Mother Teresa, our own local Mother Teresa uh, um, woman, Sister Abigail Tleko, who's recently won the Unsung Hero Award from the Dalai Lama. She's a Zulu um, nursing sister, not so much a religious sister, that she could, to all intents and purposes, be a religious sister. She's a very saintly person. She herself has adopted about 20 orphans and started an orphanage for AIDS orphans. And She works, She gets up at 3 in the morning <laughs> and is untiring. She's in her 70s. A phenomenal woman. Anyway, she, we asked uh, Abigail, would, could, could she help us find the community that was really in need? And she brought um, the Umkwasheni community to our attention which, because it's quite geographically isolated up in the mountains. Um, and, so, and she chose the name Kupuka, which means rise up or empower yourself. So... Um, the, what we focus on is capacity building, training up the 
you know, we're working with a really unskilled community. People who haven't had educational advantage, they're very low skilled. So we work on skilling up, getting trainings, uh, legal trainings, um, paralegal trainings so they can advocate on behalf of their community, primary health care workers, counselling workers, um, things like just driving licensed computer facilita- facilitation, office skills. So we basically have to start from scratch. Um, but we've got a great team at the moment. The Kapuka project's done and fantastically, phenomenally well. We've got a team of about 16. Um, we try to choose younger people. Um, they're, very, um, they're very enthusiastic. They're very dynamic. They're very engaged. Um, they've already succeeded in, in um, attaining a number of certificates through their training and bringing about a very you know, positive effect in the community. We've been fundraising. We've got enough now. This is just in a year or so for our first building. We're negotiating a change of land use. It's in tribal land, but it was owned by the South African Paper Company. So um, we're in sort of legal process to, to gain control of the land so that the community can, well, the community has the land and we can build the buildings. Uh, so for community center, for, um, for children's center, um, and then, you know, we, we, it's like crisis management, really. You know, we, we do what we can, and then like, our pickup truck blew up, and now, <laughs> you know, without the pickup truck. The pickup truck is old faithful. She's been going for 10 years. Someone da- gave a dana of this truck. It was amazing at a time when we really needed it. Anyway, so, um, so we're working on getting a new pickup truck and so on. It goes on. But uh, anyway, so um, there's some leaflets at the back about the project. There's uh, CDs there from the team, the Kupuka team. It's their, their local uh, traditional Zulu songs. They're phenomenal. Um, we, they were so excited. We got them together. We recorded them. They'd be thrilled to know that I put their CDs out in New York. They would actually they would fall over. Uh, they would fall over. If you over can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're phenomenal, phenomenal singers. So, and the, and we did this. We, you know, we they weren't that we weren't that trained. They don't need to be that trained. Out, actually, they're they're just so phenomenal. But we just we just did it in a day. We didn't have a lot of time to mess around. We got someone in to record them. But you know, please, if you'd like to um, take a CD, offer some dana. It will go straight back to the project. And to support them, there's um, an update, a little newsletter you can see. So I'm going to jump in yeah. I, because our time is short. Yeah. And I, what I'd like to, I'm sorry to no, jump great. in, but what I'd like to do is, is, yes, I think it would be wonderful for you to take some of the CDs and, and to offer a donation. But the next time we get together, or maybe in between, if Dalila is here, where is Dalila? If you could kind of help to. Dalila has, we've tried before to sort of put something together in which this group could support the Kapuka project because as you can hear, it, it's absolutely amazing and, and is doing so much good for so many people and uh, really needs support um, in order to continue that kind of wonderful work in which it's not just, it's, it's not only helping people with AIDS, but it's also developing, helping people in the community to develop ways of, of uh, becoming empowered. And uh, it was, Dalil and I have been conspiring for, for almost a year now to see if we could figure out a way in which 
San Francisco Insight and we could partner up to become uh, another sister or um, another sister sangha of the Kapuka project and to support it because I, I think not only should we sit and say, oh, Donna, generosity, it's a wonderful quality. Yes, we should do it. Yes, it sounds wonderful. It's great. Yes, wonderful. Giving, giving, giving. Yes, great, great, great. Uh, yes, I want to be free. You know, that we could say that, and of course that's all true, but the, 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 there can be um, concrete ways in which um, we can help. And, and what's amazing is, is sometimes um, how you know, just two people can arrive in South Africa for, for five weeks or, and, and suddenly there's a whole community that grows up around them that is being empowered in a way that it never imagined it could have been empowered just because, as Mother Teresa again said, we're invoking her a lot tonight, is when she was asked, how did you do all of these great things? She said, I never did great acts. I only did small acts with great love. Mm. And so can we train ourselves to do these acts with great love? Can we tra- and, and I know that you know, one of the things about people in New York is we're constantly busy, we're always busy, we're over the top busy, we can't do one more thing. <laughs> but in a way, you know, we are, as we said in our talks, you were being constantly supported with generosity. I was thinking today that somebody stopped. I, I, was, I went to the bank, and somebody, I, I was crossing the street, and a motorist stopped to let me cross. And I thought, right there is an act of generosity in which this person has transcended his self-absorption. Just for this one moment, he transcended his need to get somewhere to allow me to cross the street. And we don't even notice these small acts that are done mo- a lot of the time with great love and, and how that makes the world so much richer and more technicolor place in which to live and, and that we can train ourselves to do that consciously. Um, and so I'm so, I'm so thrilled that, that Tanisro, you were willing to come tonight. Thank you so and much. And be with us and, and stay in New York for an extra night or two to be with us um, because, I, because I, I really believe in, um, in supporting projects mm-hmm. like, like the Kapuka project. Even though it may seem far away, it's not. We're interconnected. And so um, thank you. Thank you so much. Deeply for your thank work you. and, you. and for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So are there any, we only have a few moments, but are, do you have any questions or comments or ideas? Yes, please. Um, I was wondering if there's a way that, I know we have a Google group. Is yes. there a way that we can use the Google Marketplace, maybe, mm. I can set up like a portal where we can make online donations? That would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Dalila, is that possible? I'll look into it. Great, thank you. I know that's one more thing for you to look into. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, does your organization have something set up 
Yeah, we, we have online um, through our websites. The bank accounts we have are in South Africa or the UK. I'm in the process of setting up something for US Great. based So donations. one of the things yeah. we could do is we could, yeah. um, through our Google group, is we could let you know what the website is yeah. of the Kapuka project and maybe, and maybe <coughs> through the listserv, if you have ideas, we could exchange them online yeah. so that we don't spend the time here doing that, but, but definitely to um, initiate a conversation in which we can talk about ways in which we as a group, because what I'd like to do is to not just have you do it individually, but because we know that you know when one person works, it can be powerful, but when a group works together, it, it multiplies it exponentially. And so the idea that, because I, f I think of us as an incredibly powerful group, and I would love to see that energy used in a, in a way that, is, that contributes something wonderful and positive to the world, because you are an amazing and awesome group. <laughs> so any other comments or questions before we end for the night? Yes, Sylvia. I have a similar story landing in JFK years and years and years, the 60s, and two people asked me for money to get on the, on the Long, Island, Long Island Railroad, and I gave them my last $10, and I figured my roommate would help me pay for the cab when I got home, and I, got in the ca I gave them $10, which is all I had in my wallet. And I got in the cab, and there was a $10 bill sitting on the seat. Oh, you're kidding. Okay, comes back. It comes back, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Universe is constantly yeah, giving yeah. and flowing. That is real nice. So thank you so much for being here tonight and for practicing as beautifully and as with the dedication and devotion that you that you, I feel you practice. We dedicate the merits of our practice to the benefit, the welfare, the happiness, the well-being, and the awakening of all beings everywhere without exception. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. May all beings be safe and protected from all harm and danger. May all beings be healthy and strong take care of themselves happily, and live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering, 
and be free. Sadhu. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you in May. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.